Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. All right. First, I want to take a moment and say thank you to all of our wonderful volunteers last Sunday, all of our leaders who stepped in and they joked Right? When I was watching, they joked, they said it was the B team, and that is not true. They are the AA++ team, right? All of you guys are. All of our volunteers that are still serving out there right now, or who are typing things online right now, you guys are all rock stars. And I couldn't be more proud to be a part, just a part of this community of faith. All right, so I appreciated seeing that last Sunday when we weren't here, but also very happy to be back with you guys this Sunday, and I thank you so much for your hard work. Now, we're going to continue our series of sermons called New Phone, Who Dis, right? Now, this series is about little-known stories in the Bible that have some big truths for our lives, that we can instill into our lives. You know, the, the funny thing is, though, when I, when I mentioned this title for this series of sermons to some of our leaders, there were a few that gave me kind of a weird face, right? A, a weird look on their face. Really, just a few of them that were a little older than, than 50, right? New phone, who dis, right? Well, for those of you who are not in the know, all right? Let me explain. Right, this is a phrase that people use when they receive a text message from a number they do not know. Right? When they receive a text message from a number they do not know. Now, if you're texting like my dad does with correct punctuation and spelling, you might respond by saying this, I have a new phone, period. Right? Can you tell me who this is? Right? That is the most literal meaning of the phrase. And that is where we got the idea for this series. Because the people that we're talking about are little known people from the Bible. People, if, if they were in your contacts list on your phone and you got a new phone, they may not make that transfer, right? Those type of people. So, so little known in fact, right? So little known in fact that if someone brought them up to you, you may respond by saying, who is that? I don't know them. Who is that? Or if they text you, the, the answer might be, no phone. Who dis? All right, now, I'm slowly seeing some light bulbs going off. You guys are getting this idea. And not to complicate it even more, right, there is another way that you can use this phrase. It can also be used when you get a text message from someone that you don't want to talk to, right? Yeah, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You've done this, right? You know what I'm talking about. Or you can use this phrase when someone brings up a conversation that you just don't want to have, right? An example might be this, right? Take a look. Hey, Andrew. That's me, Andrew. I have tickets to go see the ballet. You up for it? New phone, who dis? Right? Right? New phone, who dis? Or it might be if someone uh, texted you this, you might say this, right? Hey, we are moving. You want to come over and pack boxes? Um, new phone, who dis? Right? That's an appropriate response 
for that type of text message, right? New phone, who this? So since today is the uh, little-known person that we're talking about is actually a married couple, a little-known married couple in Scripture, I want to share with you the last time that my wife, Christina, used this phrase with me in a conversation. I sent her this amazing photo. Hopefully you can see it on the screen. Right? Right? There's nothing cooler than casually walking away after blowing something up. Right? All right. Now, which is objectively hilarious bathroom humor, right? Right? And she responded with, new phone, who dis, right? She didn't want to have that conversation. You can take that down, all right? New phone, who dis, right? I mean, if you're looking for romance, right, if, if for ways to improve your marriage relationship, you need to look no further, right? And I hope that this little explanation clears up the sermon series title, for you and teaches you a quick lesson about what not to text your wife or your future wife or your girlfriend. All right, so let's get started. All right, I take a look at this question that I want to start with. All right, take a look at this. All right, if you could model your marriage, or for some of you, your future marriage or the marriage that you hope to have, if you could model your marriage after one marriage in Scripture, who would you choose? Think about that. Right? Who would you choose to model your marriage after? Right? There are some pretty famous couples in the Bible, uh, when we think about it, right? That are, uh, that are great role models for marriage. For instance, as blissful as the first chapters are for Adam and Eve, uh, the honeymoon ends. Right? We know that, and it ends horribly, in fact, before we learn much about their, their marriage dynamics. So they may not be the, the perfect couple to model our relationship after. And then there's, there's, there's Isaac and, and Rebecca, who have a, a romantic beginning in the book of Genesis, but, but she eventually uh, plots, right? Rebecca plots to deceive Isaac by making some soup and getting her favorite son to receive the firstborn's inheritance, right? And her favorite son wasn't the firstborn, right? So there's some tension there, some, some ugly issues there. And then uh, there's also Jacob and, and his wife, and wives, really, right? Who, who Jacob, who labored for a, a long time for his beloved Rachel, but was also uh, married and despised uh, her sister Leah, and so that made for some awkward family dinners, right? So we may not replicate that in our marriage or look to them as the role models, right? And maybe you admire Abraham and Sarah. I know Christina and I do. They're, they're one of our favorite couples in Scripture. And, and there's a lot to be admired about their relationship, but, but he does eventually endanger his wife to protect himself. So, so that's not the greatest of thing, Right? Right? And we could go on and on and on. And as you can see, as is the case with almost every story in the Bible, these marriages are a little bit flawed. Of course they are, right? Two humans, right? There's always some issues. So uh, some are horribly flawed. Some are just minor fights and arguments and disagreements. And yet they still overcome by the power of the God that they forged their life on. But either way, right, horrible marriages that we read about or just little 
little marriages that we read about, there are countless marriage duels uh, in the Bible that we have heard of and that we can learn from. But most of us will miss this one that we want to talk about today, right, if we don't look close. One of the greatest marriages in all of history, in my opinion, and it's quickly mentioned in the book of Acts and just a few other times in Paul's letters. All right, but, I, but I think this little-known story of a faithful couple has some huge truths for our lives. And so we're going to dive right in. Right, today we'll be in the book of Acts, chapter 18. Go ahead and, and turn there in your Bibles. Or you, can, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. And those are free. You can take those with you. They are for you to give, to use, to have. Keep one in the car to give to somebody, whatever. They are free for you. So we'll be in Acts chapter 18. You can also download the free Foundry Burke app, that little QR code on the back of the chairs or in the comments there on the online stream. Download that app, click the Bible tab, and today's scripture is already pulled up there for you. But yet, there's nothing better than having your own Bible in your lap. So turn to Acts chapter 18, and as you're turning there or downloading the app, let me give you a little bit of context. The first words of chapter 18 say, after that. Some translations say then, right? Then this happened, right? Which clearly means something just happened, right? When you're reading scripture and it says, and after that, something just happened before that, right? And so we read in Acts chapter 17, or we will see that, that Paul is in Athens, and he is convicted because of the amount of idol worship that is just going on, right? He, he's convicted by all the idols that he's seeing in, in this city of Athens, right? These people have idols for everything, Real quick, they have, they have idols to the moon, they have idols to the stars, they have, uh, they have idols to the trees, they probably have an idol to the dinner that they ate last night, right? They have idols for everything. And here's what's interesting, they even have an idol, they even have an idol for an unknown God, right? Just in case they missed one. Right? They have an idol for an unknown God. And Paul, he's walking around and he sees this idol, this, this idol, and he says, I know who that is. Right? He says, I know who that is. He's a friend from work. Right? Some of you guys got that, right? right? He says, I know who that idol is. Right? He is my God. He's the creator God, the God of the, the universe and the Bible. It's pretty clear that some of the people who are hearing this believe this, right? They believe that the God of the universe is, in fact, this unknown God, right? And that they can, they can forge their life on him, that they can believe in this God above all the other gods. But the Bible is also pretty clear that there's some people, quite a bit of people, who don't believe this. And, in fact, they start making fun of Paul for saying that he knows who this unknown God is. So in chapter 18, right, we find a Paul, the Apostle Paul, who has left Athens a little, just a little bit discouraged, and he runs into a Jewish couple. All right, let's read what happens. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. It says this, all right, then Paul, he left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. 
They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Verse 4 says, Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and the Greeks alike. All right, just keep your, keep your finger right there. All right, so from the second verse there that we read of this scripture, we can see that Priscilla and Aquila, this, this wife and husband, this man and wife, are in a situation that's actually kind of similar uh, to Paul's, right? It says, there he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila. Right? Born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Right? Then they had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Right? Priscilla and Aquila have just been driven from their home simply for being Jews. Right? They have been, been, been exported out of their home country because of their faith. Right? The, the government decides, not for the, the first time and, and definitely not for the last time, that the answer to all of the country's problems would be to get rid of all the Jews. Right? And so that's what's happening. And do not just read over this because it's easy, easy to do. Right? This, this couple had a home. Right? This, this, this couple had a, a successful business. They, they had a family. They had neighbors. They had friends. They had a, a community. They had, they had things, right? They had a, a, a neighborhood. They, just, they had their life there, right? And then at a, at a moment's notice, they are told to get out, to leave. Right, we, can, we can look at, at this today and just kind of read over it. You know, just, just read it and pass on, keep going into the story. But for uh, Aquila and, and Priscilla, this is absolutely huge, right? I mean, you guys can imagine, right? It's a huge tension in their life that they have to wrestle with, that they have to deal with, that they have to live in. They're not sure where they will settle. They're not sure if their business will work in Corinth. Right? They don't know the ins and outs of the city. They have to learn a new language. They have to learn new customs. They, they have to find a new home. They have to try to put roots down. Literally, every part of their lives have been uprooted. Right? They're, they're discouraged refugees just working to stay afloat. Right? That's, that's what they're doing. And so that is where we pick up the story today, right? Paul, a missionary who has not been incredibly successful lately. He's done good things. He's worked hard. He's done amazing things, in fact. But, but lately, he's, he's taken a few body shots, right? He's, he's kind of worn out a little bit, right? Finds Priscilla and Aquila, a refugee couple. And for some reason... This is how I imagine this meeting going, right? And maybe this is because uh, when I was, was traveling and I was uh, helping my parents move and, and go back and forth and do the different things, my sister's kids were starting school, not to add to the confusion of moving your parents, right? And I know one of the worries was for the oldest one, but is, is a worry that we all had to face when we went to middle school for the first time. 
right? And we got some kids here at the foundry going to school in just a couple weeks, and some of them going to a new school for the very first time, right? And so I think this is how I imagine this happening. It's like that day where we first go to the middle school for the first time, right? Think about that, right? Think back, right? Some of us have to think a little bit longer, right? We go to the middle school for the very first time. We go from the, the smaller, protected elementary school to a bigger, more populated school, right? right? Everyone had, had, to, had to deal with that. Right? Well, what was your biggest worry? Well, I, I know what mine was, right? It, it was the, the cafeteria, right, for multiple reasons, right, granted, right? Like, like what are they going to have? But, right? Who was I going to sit with at lunch, right? Who was I going to sit with at lunch? That was, that was a worry on my mind, right? So, so you have this huge weight, this, this worry on your back as you start a, a new school, as, you, as, you're, as you're with new people and new teachers. And, and like my niece this last week, a locker for the first time. I didn't realize that was a big deal, right? New things. And, and you have to get to the cafeteria, and you don't know what you're going to do, right? So you go through the food line, and, and you get your square pizza with the, the incredible small carton of chocolate milk and, and you walk out and you pay the cafeteria lady and you turn around and you face the gauntlet of the cafeteria, right? And as you frantically search the cafeteria back and forth and back and forth, right? Until you find them, right? Until you see them, right? Your people, Right? Until you, you're searching back and forth, back and forth, and you finally, your eyes finally settle on your people, on your squad, right? <sighs> what a relief, right? What a relief. You, you turn around and you see them. A huge sigh of, of relief comes over you when you see a table full of whoever your people were. Right, uh, my table was the the football team, and and although they were usually up to something that they should not be, like shoving food up their nose or shotgunning those chocolate milks, it didn't matter how dumb they were. They were my people. Right, I was with my people. Right, and maybe your table was the choir or the band or the drama club, whoever it was. It was a sigh of relief finding your people on such a a stressful, hectic busy day when you can't get your new locker open, right? When you're starting a new school. Right? And that's kind of how I picture what happened when Paul met Aquila and Priscilla, when he found them, right? The relief of finding his people, right? The, the fellow Jew, uh, the, the fellow weary traveler, the, the fellow tent maker, the fellow believer in Christ. What sweet relief he must have felt. Right? It was probably like water on a, a hot, sweaty day, a cold glass of water in his hand. Now, we're not sure how they found each other. We're just not sure. Right? We're not sure if they met at, at like Hobby Lobby looking for fabric to make tents, because Paul was a tent maker too in his past, right? right? We're not sure, right? We're not sure how they, they ran into each other, but they did. Right? We're not sure how it worked, but however they found each other, they did, and God had a plan. God had a plan for their, their relationship, for their life. I think that is the first lesson that we can learn from this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, right? right take, take a look. Right? Even in the midst of uncertain circumstances and chaos, 
all right? In chaos, even in the midst of all that, on certain circumstances, God can use your story, use your life to advance the plan. Even in the midst of the unknown, in the midst of, of uncertainty, in the midst of just confusion and chaos, God can use your story, use your life to advance the plan, his plan, right? With the people that are around you. And that's the first thing that we can learn from this amazing couple, right? Priscilla and Aquila have just been exiled. They were in a new town. Their, their home was probably still in boxes, right? Their tent fabric was, was still rolled up in the back. Their sewing machine still needed to be unpacked. I have no idea how they make tents. But needless to say, right, they, they were living in uncertain circumstances, but God still had a plan. God still had a purpose for them. God still had a will for them to do. Priscilla and Aquila threw caution to the wind. Right? They trusted in the God they served, even with death threats around them, even in a new city. They did not lose sight of what they were forging their life on. Right? Listen, no matter how much they suffered, because they were suffering, no matter how much they struggled, because they were struggling, they kept forging ahead. They kept living their Christian life. They kept doing what they were called to do. Right? They were not put here just to make tents. They understood that. Right? They were here to make disciples, and they owned that. Right? Sure, times were tough, but there was a plan, and God, uh, and they knew that God was in control, that they forged their life on the God of the universe who had it all together, who could see the battle plan, who could see the big picture. Now listen real quick to how Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. I'll read this for you here. It says, we are, we are pressed on every, every side right, by our troubles, but we're not crushed. Right? We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. He says, we are, we are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down but we're not destroyed, right? I'm going to read verse 10 too because it's good, right? Through suffering, our bodies continue to share the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Listen, Paul, right? He didn't write this when he was living with Aquila and Priscilla, right? He didn't write this while he was with them, but Priscilla and Aquila lived this out, right? To the T, right? They lived this out all the way. They definitely lived it, right? They were pressed. They were troubled, right? Everywhere they looked, there was trouble, but they pressed on. They, they forged on. They advanced the mission. Not their mission, God's mission. They took steps to advance the kingdom, no matter what was going on around them. They accepted the risk, the pain, the suffering, Real quick, to be clear, God does not mean, right, for every marriage to step into the same fires of Priscilla and Aquila did, right? To step into those same fires or every relationship that we have to be in those types of, of situations. But all Christians, all of us who are forging our life on God, doing our best to live for him and for his ways and his will, should expect, not, not even expect, should embrace embrace suffering for the sake of Christ, as we read. 
should count it as joy, Paul says in another place, right? While we should not, str- I mean, why we should, we should strive, I'm sorry, to protect our family and to, to have safety and keep our families and marriages from evil, we should not work to protect ourselves as Christians from, from, from suffering, from pain, from suffering in love for the faith and joy and the salvation of others. Right? We should count it as joy. Now let me dig into that for a, a quick second. Right? And let's be honest. Right? Has the, has the comfort, has the, the security of a, of a marriage, of a relationship, of a, of a family, of a home, of a job, of a, a career, of just a nice cushy living in northern Virginia kept some of us from obeying Christ and taking the right risks in our lives. Think about that. Is what we have too comfortable to risk for the sake of Christ? Heck, are, are we risking anything for the kingdom of God? You know, the, the Danish philosopher uh, Soren Kierkegaard said, there can be no faith without risks. And I'm inclined to agree. Sometimes the risks are big. And sometimes the risk is as simple as inviting someone into your home. And that's what Priscilla and Aquila did. Right? They invited Paul into their home. And that's the second thing we can learn from this amazing couple. Take a, take a look at this next slide here. Every person has been given a God-given commission and call, a gift, if you will. Every person, and we need to recognize it and use it. Everybody has been given a God-given call and purpose and a gift, and we need to recognize it and we need to use it. Now, here's the funny thing. Driving back from Kentucky this week, my wife uh, read this text, and she said, you know, Paul staying with Priscilla and Aquila, like Paul staying with them, it was definitely Aquila's idea because no woman in her right mind, Christina said, would invite a random man to stay at her family's home when the family had just moved there and they were still getting settled. Right? She said no, no woman in their right mind would, would do that. So it had to have been Aquila's idea. And I can kind of understand because, because this past week, like I, I've told many of you, Christina and I, we, we stayed at my parents' home as they were packing things up uh, to move. And they were downsizing. They were, my, my dad, he's got, he messed with a wheelchair now, and so they're, they're going into this place where he can, you know, walk into the, the tub and do all this different stuff. And so they're, they're downsizing into this, this apartment type thing. And, and uh, my mom kept apologizing for the mess, right, of their house and not being able to find things because they were in boxes, Right? right? And this is the kind of situation that Priscilla is finding herself in, or, or probably, like I said, Aquila invited Paul into. However, right, this was their God-given call. This was the task for this time in their life, at this moment that they were called to do. And they recognized their calling to enter into a relationship with this man, Paul. Right? They, they practiced their gifting, which was radical hospitality. Right? They practice radical hospitality in this moment. Right? Hospitality that is inconvenient and sometimes messy, but God-honoring and kingdom-minded always. Right? And this is not just 
some overnight stay, because if you go back to Acts chapter 18 and you look at verse 11, it says that Paul stayed for 18 months, a year and a half, right? A year and a half, right? You know, you know that saying that says guests like fish begin to stink after three days, all right? Paul began to get a little funky, right? He was smelly, right? He was there a year and a half, right? He stayed for a total of 18 months. And this is not like staying with the, the, the king or the, the, the Caesar of Rome or the queen's house or something. There was no guest house out back. They were all staying in the same small little home. And Paul, he was over there snoring on the couch, right? It was cramped. Right? This was radical hospitality, and it was kingdom-changing hospitality. You see, in other mentions of Priscilla and Aquila, we learned that they did not only welcome Paul into their home, they welcomed the whole church of Corinth as well. Right? In 1 Corinthians, we see that they held church in their home. That's where the church of Christ met, was in their home. In Romans, it says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, greet also the church that's in their house. And while it may seem like, like no big deal or nothing to hold a, a small group of people in your home, it is a huge deal, especially when you consider the opposition and hostility that Christians often face in the first century world that they were living in, right? But this was their gift, and they recognized it. And this was their God-given call, their commission. And they put those things together, and they advanced the kingdom of God. Now, some of you, you have this gifting, right? The, uh, this same gifting. Some of you have been given the gift of welcoming and loving people, right? Most of you know Kirsten, who's out there, right? She's been given the gift of hospitality in spades, Right? Some of you are, are here today because she welcomed you at the door. Right? And, and sometimes I tease her because she'll tell me about the people that she's had conversations with. And in the short time that she's talked with them, like just a couple minutes, she'll learn everything about them and their circumstances, their needs, things that will take me months to figure out. Right? She learns it in just a few seconds. Right? She's, she is amazing at welcoming people into this church and into her life. It's her God-given commission, her gifting, and she uses it for the glory of the kingdom of God. Now listen, that is what Aquila and Priscilla teach us. Recognize your gifting, because we've all been given a gift. It might be hospitality, like Kirsten or Aquila and Priscilla. It might be something else. Maybe it's, it's speaking. Maybe it is teaching. Maybe it's, it's sharing your, your discernment, your wisdom with others in the kingdom, in the family of God here. Maybe it's, it's mercy and, and, and compassion and, and serving, helping others by contributing. Whatever it is, use it. Use it. Right? And use it often. Step up to the table with each other, right, at these women's events, at these men's events, at our, our, our groups, when we get together, when we have meals, and figure out what it is. That's why we help each other, right? Use it, and use it often, right? You see, when we use these gifts, right, when we, we take the God-given commission on our life to go and make disciples, to to, to Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them these, these commands to obey these things, right? And as we interpret that here to, to guide people to forge that lifelong reliance on God, as we step into this, 
right? As we step into this cause, we step into this, this mission, we have the gifts given to us to accomplish it, to grow the kingdom. Right? Pr- Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned a few other times in the New Testament, like I said. Mostly in letters from Paul asking for someone just to say hey to them. Right? But we just went over their whole story, just about. Yeah. A couple of, of refugee tent makers who saw a need and they stepped up. Despite their circumstances, despite their, their struggles, despite the, the fear. They used their giftings and they grew the kingdom. Right, and every week I, I like to leave us with uh, an application, right? Uh, something that we can do, physically do, and apply to our lives from the things that we're learning in God's word. And, and I usually make this like the biggest part of my sermon. And this week it's simple. It's just this, right? Take a look. All right, be a tent maker. It's simple, right? Be a tent maker. And let me, let me explain, right? Be a tent maker. While you're forging your life on God, be a tent maker, right? And that is what Priscilla and Aquila were by trade. Each morning they, they woke up, they walked outside to their little tent making shed. And well, I still don't know how they made a tent, but they did whatever they did to make that tent, right? They, they cut the wood, they cut the fabric, they, they, they put everything together, they made rope, right? Whatever it is, they did it. But here's the truth. They weren't just tent makers, Right? Right? I would wager a bet that if you met them today, if they walked through these doors, or you met them at Cafe Rio for lunch this afternoon, it's probably where we're going, Christina. But I would wager a bet that if you met them today, that this is not how they would introduce themselves. That they wouldn't introduce themselves as tent makers. Right? Today, when we meet someone, we shake their hand and we say our name, and the first question, especially in this area, right, is they ask, what do you do? All right? And I think Priscilla and Aquila would have answered by saying, we are Christians. Right? People who are forging our life on God, who just happen to be tent makers. That, they would say that, that's our outpost. Right? That's where God has us to be ambassadors at. Right? And that is what we should be doing. Right? The kingdom of God needs tent makers. The, uh, the kingdom of God needs people who are ministers in the kingdom who just happen to be uh, makers of tents, who are, who are soldiers in the army of God, but who just happen to work in the government. The kingdom of God needs, needs people who refuse to be identified by what they do instead of who they are, a child of the God Most High. Right, we are children of God saved by grace. Listen, Foundry. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. And sure, we need to make tents. We need to teach in school. We need to be great parents. We need to sell real estate. But will we do it as ambassadors in the kingdom of God? Tent makers of the kingdom. All right, real quick. Uh, let's take a look at, uh, at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 here, real quick. All right here, Paul is, is taking the, 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 the church to Corinth. Uh, he's talking to the church in Corinth. And what is happening is that all these people are coming to Christ. They're just coming, right? They're being baptized left and right. Amazing things are happening, but they have some pretty horrible pasts. And so Paul writes to them in verses 18 through 20, he says, he says this, and all of this, 
all right, is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, right? No longer counting people's sins against him. And he, has, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, right? So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Right? The first thing he says to them is that you have been reconciled. Right? He says you've been reconciled. Your past no longer defines you. Horrible, horrible past, kind of bad past, good past, whatever. It doesn't define you. Your sins, you're missing the mark, doesn't count against you. And now you have a new job, in fact. You've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation, of bringing people together with God. Right? You now are ambassadors of Christ, he says. So whatever you, you do, your, whatever your tent making is, realize that's your outpost. But your real job is an ambassador. Right, Foundry Church, that, uh, this is what Priscilla and Aquila teach us. No matter our past, Right? Maybe you are a, a literal refugee from a country that is, is falling apart, or maybe you are a refugee from a past that is messy and broken. Whatever it is, you have been reconciled and you have a new job. You are an ambassador. You are in the ministry of reconciliation. And you can, you can look to the person sitting next to you and say, right, no matter what you do, that's your outpost. You're an ambassador. I'm not going to have you do that because the introverts would get mad at me. But listen, as the, as the band comes back up, here's the truth. Over and over again, whatever we do, whatever outpost God has placed us in, as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, as a, as a teacher, as a government contractor, as a person in the military, as... as a lobbyist, as someone at the State Department, whatever it is, a student, a grandpa, doesn't matter. It's your outpost. Your job is an ambassador of Christ. You have been given a gift to accomplish that. You have been given a calling, and no matter the circumstances, no matter how risky, no matter how much you're going to struggle, you have been equipped to be an agent of change no matter where God has you. Listen, Priscilla and Aquila, they weren't superheroes. They, they could not fly from city to city with Paul telling people about Jesus and using their, their spidey senses to get on whatever things that were ugly or messy, but they were willing, right? And that's what I mean. They were willing to get dirty, to be uncomfortable, to, to count their, their, their stress and trouble and their sacrifices as joy because they made themselves available. God wants you to be ambassadors right where you are. Let's stand together right now and let's worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords.
the great I am and thank him through this next song that we are ambassadors, that he has placed us in a situation, in a family, in a job, in a career, in a neighborhood for a purpose. So as we sing this, think about how you can step into that role as ambassador, right? And then this week, as we forge ahead, connect with somebody and figure out how you can use your gifting to accomplish that. Let's sing to him this morning.